the state and religion true secularism the rulers of today are of the view that secularism should be followed by the government in respect of religion they understand this is to mean that the state will not be inclined to any particular religion it is necessary to point out that this is not correct and show what true secularism is it is not that the state should be completely detached from all religions on the other hand a state instead of being supportive of a particular religion should support all the religions the state should support all religions with equal concern and help in their growth without mutual ill will responsibilities of the state in elevating the people's mind it is true that it is the important responsibility of the state to do all that is necessary for the health of the people and the improvement of the quality of their life through education agriculture and other economic activities to take care of internal and external security etc but more important than the physical health is the mental health the state cannot discard it a country where people are not mentally elevated cannot be called a country since it is religion that develops the mental health it is certain that the state has a part to play in nurturing religion we see in practice that no developmental activity relating to worldly life gives permanent benefit and happiness this kind of development becomes purely temporary and in securing it there is great competition etc on the whole there is only loss of peace because of modern discoveries the luxuries of life keep increasing we are never satisfied and keep chasing them all the time if our life ends with such endless effort to increase physical comfort it will be pitiable despite being endowed with a rational faculty what is required is that we have to find the ways and means of making what is imperfect into the perfect one to make the temporary pleasures of life into permanent bliss good conduct the ways of dharma devotion to god and spiritual thinking provide the way for it limitations of the role of the state in matters of religion when it is said that the state has a part to play one thing need to be understood the state has merely a share in nurturing faith in religions as a means to develop the mind that means the state should not entirely take over the responsibility of religious affairs it should not exceed the limits in discharging its share of responsibility therefore the state should not at all interfere in the rules and practices of religions irrespective of whether the state adopts a secularism by which it equally patronizes all religions or the wrong type of secularism by which it keeps no connection with any religion it should not make laws in furtherance of its social policies which are contrary to the rules laid down in religion even after adopting the wrong type of secularism by which the state is neutral to all religions if it tries indirectly to interfere in the rules of religions we cannot accept it but if a government wants to make laws in accordance with its social policies and if such laws are contrary to religious rules it should follow the basic policy that it will disregard equally the rules of all religions and mete out justice to people before making laws concerning any branch it is the duty of the government to consult those who have vast knowledge and experience in it 
and obtain their advice for this purpose there should be a committee of experts for each branch it is not necessary that the rulers should have knowledge in the field of religion in fact they need not even be religious therefore it means that this branch is beyond the purview of the government's law making powers independent body of representatives of all religions as a result of the above concept it becomes necessary that the government should organize an independent and autonomous body for taking decisions on matters of religion and it should keep itself completely away from it it is only on the recommendation of such a body that the government can make any law if need be the objective of this independent body is to draw plans and implement them to nurture devotion to god thinking of the soul love truth straightforwardness service humility etc which are common to all religions its chief function should be to instill these good qualities in the followers of all religions who have been indulging in mutual quarrel and between sections of the same religion the government should provide financial assistance to these bodies not only because the government has a role in elevating the minds of people but also because all sections of people have to remain united for the government to function in an atmosphere of peace who are those who are fit to find a place in this body they should be those great persons who have dedicated their life to the study of the scriptures of their religion and in following the anushtanas of their religion in addition to such persons those who have the qualifications and are also well versed in the conduct of worldly affairs and who have a close relationship with the people and know their minds and attitude should also be members there should be no interference of the government in this field for making changes religious leaders should not involve themselves in politics we wish to say the same thing about the role of religious leaders that is religious leaders should never interfere in matters of governance to keep reminding the government that it should act to nurture religion to express appreciation when the government acts in this manner to boldly criticize it if it interferes in matters of religion beyond this religious leaders should not have connection with the government mixing politics with religion is like destroying the very source where water is purified their attention should be restricted entirely to religion what the government gains by nurturing religion as an added reason for government extending support to all religions we wish to show that apart from the government having its share in elevating the minds of people the government itself benefits by such elevation presently the government has to spend a lot over policing courts etc because many offenses are committed in violation of law and order apart from the expenditure the very function of maintaining law and order is a heavy burden if a small portion of this money is spent on nurturing religion and all the religionists are enabled to carry out maintenance of their places of worship making grants to satsang and to worthy individuals in the manner of the kings of olden times people will get mentally elevated and offenses will come down substantially as in olden times when the opportunity for material enjoyment is on the increase and the desire of the people keeps increasing 
the need for the government to nurture religion gains greater importance when due to modern science and revolutionary ideas there is a danger all over the world of spirituality being lost and if human beings are not to become like animals this kind of secularism has to be followed selected wisdom are highlights from the numerous lectures of his holiness sri chandrashekarendra saraswati swamigal here i present the last chapter selected wisdom foreign critics of our vedic religion fling at us the cheap jibe what a host of gods and goddesses you worship this charge of polytheism leveled against our religion is entirely wrong and is born out of ignorance of the fundamental teachings of the vedas the one god appears in the three forms of brahma vishnu and shiva for a threefold purpose namely creation protection and dissolution one murti appears as three and there is no question of any one of the three being superior or inferior to the other two if brahma vishnu and shiva are one in essence then by the same token all the gods of the hindu pantheon are also one in the ultimate analysis then why this wrangling that one god is superior to the rest some assert that the deity they worship is alone the highest to a man standing under the arch at one end of a bridge all the other arches will appear smaller than the one under which he is standing but we are aware that all the arches of a bridge are of the same span similarly to the votary of a particular deity all the other deities will appear inferior on account of his attachment to the deity of his choice but the truth is that all deities are manifestations in particular ways of one god one important difference between other religions and ours is that while other religions speak of a direct relation between man and god our religion speaks of a mediated relation established through transcendental deities each presiding over a particular aspect of worldly and spiritual life however bad a man may be all evil thoughts within him recede to the background in the presence of his mother similarly in the presence of the divine mother all of us can get rid of our mental impurity the genius of our ancients is responsible for conceiving the mother of all creation as a virgin the conception of divinity as a mother is unique and inspiring in human relationship the affection of a mother for her child is unsurpassed similarly the depth of the divine mother's love for her devotees is unfathomable the grace that flows from her is spontaneous and irresistible we should all strive to cultivate lofty and noble sentiments and eschewing all bad and selfish thoughts live in a spirit of devotion to the god and love for fellow men human stature increases in proportion to the mobility of human thought and deed the spirit of selfless service the readiness to sacrifice devotion to god and love for and goodwill towards all and hatred for none are the outcome of a highly developed mind which goes by the name of culture kingship 
has given place to democracy and therefore it has become the duty of the people themselves to preserve the treasures lying embedded in our shastras instead we are frittering away our energies in linguistic and other controversies this is a feature of our present day life which is very sad to contemplate we must realize the basic principles expounded by our shastras and model our lives accordingly the only lasting thing is our endeavor for the elevation of soul realizing this let us conduct ourselves in the proper manner no doubt it is to some extent desirable in this world for a man to earn a name and fame and also material wealth all these things come to some people and ask others do not get them however much they may try but these things do not attach themselves to us permanently either we leave them behind or they desert us in our own lifetime therefore name fame and wealth are not objectives for which we should consciously strive with all our energy what we should aspire and strive for is a life free from sin there are two aspects to this freedom from sin one is from absolution from sins already committed and the other is non commission of sins hereafter by purifying our mind and making it free from evil thoughts the former can be achieved by absolutely surrendering oneself to god realizing that he alone is our savior that nothing happens without his knowledge and that whatever happens to us good or bad is by his will and only for our ultimate good resigning oneself to the dispensation of god is the essence of absolute surrender or sharanagati we will be free from evil thoughts hereafter only by bhakti or devotion that is to say by devoting every free moment of ours to his thoughts or repeating his names or listening to his glories while sharanagati helps us to write off past sins bhakti alone will keep our minds away from sin the heart has to be kept clean through bhakti so that the full effect of his presence there may be realized in the ultimate analysis surrender and devotion are the two facets of the same thing in this life all householders are engaged in various occupations necessary to maintain themselves while so engaged their minds will be concentrating on their work but it is during their leisure that their minds are likely to go astray this leisure must be utilized in developing bhakti through various processes like nama japa satsanga satkatha shravana nuja etc the idea is to somehow keep our thoughts engaged on god we should have no occasion to commit sin through mind eyes ears and speech even when we make any supplications in our prayers it should be in a spirit of detachment namely with the realization that nothing is unknown to him and with a feeling let him do with us as he pleases let us in this way strive to pursue the path of surrender and devotion and earn the grace of god true bhakti or devotion 
is that condition of a devotee's mind when it is unable to bear even a moment's separation from the shelter of God, even if it is forcibly withdrawn from that shelter by force of circumstances, it struggles and rushes back and attaches itself to God like a needle to a magnet. A person may have everything that contributes to happiness, and yet, if he has not developed the proper frame of mind, he cannot be happy and contented. When his mind is a slave to discontent, anger and envy, he cannot have peace and happiness. Like water kept in a leaky pot, everything he has will prove useless to him. Therefore, we should first of all seek God's help to cleanse our minds of all passions and impurities. Fasting and other forms of discipline create a proper atmosphere for self-control. But complete self-control can be acquired only through the grace of God. Real control over the mind comes with the realization that everything, including oneself, is not other than God. With the dawning of the realization, a person's senses cease to be attracted by external objects. His mind does not run away with his sense organs, and he maintains his mental equipoise even under the most trying circumstances. While desire fulfilled leads to further desire, desire frustrated turns into anger, like the rebound of a ball thrown at a wall. A person in the grip of desire or anger loses his reasoning power and consequently all his actions will be in the wrong directions. When the desires become subordinate to the mind, the mind begins to dwell upon the Atman undisturbed and a person steeped in the contemplation of the Atman realizes the Supreme. An ailment should be regarded as an opportunity to forget our normal physical wants and to contemplate on God. In that way, we can learn to do our routine duties in a spirit of dedication to God. Each one of us is fond of certain things in life and the liking develops into raga, attachment or affection. When the things or persons we like part from us or we part from them at the end of life's journey, we are afflicted with grief. Death forcibly separates us from the objects of our attachment, resulting only in grief all around. We must develop the capacity to leave this world without regret when death knocks at our doors. How this is to be achieved is the problem of life. We should strive to convert all our worldly achievements and resources into the currency Dharma so that we can carry with us this Dharma when the call comes to quit this world. God is fullness, the all. There is no other to Him. He is the all without a second, that is, Advaita. But mere intellectual comprehension of it is not enough. It must be realized as a fact in one's own experience. For such realization, the grace of God is prerequisite. We begin with a feeling of distinctness from God. The predicament of worship is one of duality of deity and devotee. But even then, 
the devotee does not feel that god is external to him and to the universe he has the consciousness that god is immanent in himself and in every particle of the world indwelling everywhere and in everything however minute our duty is to worship him in this way with devotion and if we do so he reveals his true nature to us a true gyanin creates an atmosphere of detachment and holiness around him and draws innumerable people towards him such great gyanis have arisen in the world from time to time no matter what religion they profess all these prophets and saints proclaim the same truth each in his own way and if they happen to come back to life now and meet together there would be perfect unity in their messages it is the followers that have put into their mouths more than what they said and wrangled with others freezing the original teachings mangled in their hands into institutional forms which foster narrowness and bigotry realization of the self as non different from brahman is supreme bliss the brahman alone is real and the world has no reality in its own right apart from brahman is the teaching of sri shankara we should employ even the few minutes of leisure we may be able to snatch in between jobs in the thought of god or in reciting his nama many god saturated saints were not content by invoking god by one name only they speak of him having a thousand names a thousand signifying innumerable the lesson to be drawn from the foregoing is that the same supreme being appears in diverse forms as we conceive him to shower his grace in the manner we invoke it we do it by mantra and japa which are sound ways having the power to transform the selves into the form of the murtis whose mantras they are if we continuously chant the mantra into which we are initiated the supreme parashakti will shower her grace on us shri gurubhyo namaha